Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts with April Mahoney Brains. Uh, we are up early here in California and up early there. Now you are in Atlanta, Dr. Sharon? I am in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Oh, Florida. We're going to talk Florida. about Florida. Floridians and, and yes. how it down there. Absolutely. <laughs> Brains, uh, we have Dr. Sharon Arendelle with us this morning and we are going to talk about her coaching. She's a therapist. We're going to talk about her groundbreaking work as a speaker, she's helping people with mental health. Uh, she's just a phenomenal woman. She just seems so soft and easygoing. But I'm looking at all those uh, accolades on that wall, so that lets you know that she's very smart. <laughs> oh yes, honey, I don't miss nothing. Hi. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm so glad to have you here, Dr. Sharon. You're gonna break it yeah. down to us uh, in bite-sized pieces so we can absorb it. Welcome to On the Edge. Thank you for having me and thank you to all the brains out there. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Worldwide. We're in like 47 different. Countries. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, so I need you guys to, you know, get pencil and paper, grab hold to this because you're going to get some valuable nuggets of information. So Dr. Sheehan, let's start. How do you show up in the world and where'd you come from? Ah, well, I show up as a servant leader, right? I show up uh, you know, I, I, I serve God and I serve people. So I show up that way. Where did I come from? It all started on a journey from Jamaica, West Indies, which is where I was originally birthed. But I've been in this country for 53 years. So um, definitely everything that has happened to me that was was for me, even against me, happened in this country and so um, that's where I'm from and that's what I'm about. I do a lot of things, but that's what I'm about. And whenever I get to talk about it, that I just talk about what has happened to me, give a little bit of my story. And, you know, everybody has one. Everybody has everybody a story. Has a, everybody's mm -hmm. got a story and a testimony. Yeah. yeah. Willing to share it. Um, yeah. I love the culture of Jamaica when we went there it is like embedded in the people that live there to be of service. Mm -hmm. everything, yeah. everything is all right. I don't care yeah. if it's storming, if you are hungry, you don't have no shoes. There's yeah. uh, blow off your house. No worries, yeah. lady. No worries, my lady. No worries. Cool runnings, cool runnings. Yeah, you know, and it is a beautiful thing because yeah. it levels you out. Mm -hmm. Everybody is on this fight or flight syndrome. Uh, I talk to every other person and they're experiencing anxiety uh, or the ugliness in the world and all the negativity that's going on, but there mm -hmm. is still some beauty in the world. So yeah. You go out and you speak to individuals on your platform. Where do you start? You start with your story or? Um, I tend to start with some kind of joke, something um, to get everybody relaxed. 
because usually the the topics that I talk about are not very relaxing. So I try to get people relaxed before I start jumping into talking about, for instance, mental health. You know, not too many people want to hear about that and what to download, upload, sideload, delete, all of that in order to get to the core of who you are requires a lot of movement and a lot of serious movement. So I tend to talk a little bit about what has happened to me. Like, you know, recently I spoke in San Diego and, and it was- And you didn't call me? I can't believe it. I didn't know you then. Oh, but... you gotta come on back. I could treat you like a queen here. Yes, ma'am. Well, you know, most of my children and my grandchildren live in San Diego. So oh, you have to come I back. Get to, I get to go. And, you know, it was that time when you guys thought you, San Diego thought they were going to have a hurricane. And when I stood up, I said, well, I come from a hurricane state and I've been through a hurricane. So I brought it with me. And, you know, it kind of lightens up the room, it lightens up the atmosphere for people to digest what's going to come next. And so um, that's basically what I do when I speak. My topics are varied depending on where I'm speaking. You know, you talk about mental health. I'm going to tell you, mental health is scary. Yes. And let's be real. Everybody's got a tick. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a tick. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got trauma. Mm -hmm. so don't think that you are untouched everybody that's has right. touched with something that's right but it's how you process it that's right and that's what that's i had to tell myself when i woke up at 60 years old i said you know what april you have to really realize and yeah it took me 60 years to figure it out brains um but it's how you process stuff is it really that important is it that significant is it going to change your life is it for the better does it no longer serve you you know, because I'm not going to live these last few days. The Bible tells me we get 70, okay? And I'm on 60. So if I get these next 10 and riding on grace, you best to believe I'm going to be gentle with myself. Yeah. But we don't know how to accept individuals that have really deep-rooted mental illness because you don't know where they are. Matter of fact, they don't know where they are. You know, yeah, we do sit in judgment. It's not something you can see. You can be empathetic with a scar, with a patch, with a, you know, with a broken arm. But with someone that has uh, multiple personalities or severe depression or a potentially suicide, how do we, as individuals that don't have that severity, how do we show compassion? Um, you have to remind yourself that these are people and that could actually that could easily be me right easily I don't know about you but it could, could be easily be me you're 60 I'm 64 and so it could easily be me because for a long time I was I was just sitting around in my mud and in my mess and in my ashes and couldn't get up you know in the mornings thinking wow, I think God forgot about me, you know, just sitting there, nowhere to live at one point of my own. And so, you know, you could literally get stuck there, stuck there. I literally have friends who are stuck there, you know, just, just stuck there. And if, and if you get stuck there long enough, it becomes depression, anxiety, frustration, doubt, and then it starts piling 
up in your brain and in your mind and you start talking about it. You start talking about it. You're calling it yours. People say my depression, my anxiety, my divorce, my this, my this. So now you have claimed it. It has become yours and it leads to other things. And when we see people walking around looking like they have a tick or something, it could have started with just that. Right, they just right. couldn't process, couldn't process. And what people don't understand is, okay, maybe I have not experienced that for 60 years. But again, if I'm riding on that grace, you don't know what's going to happen in the next 10. Mm -hmm. You got mm -hmm. dementia, you got Alzheimer's, you could have a mm -hmm. major traumatic event that happens in your life. So don't ever think that you are unscathed and that you're That's not, right. You know, That's right. At any time. You also talk on leadership. Mm -hmm. That's a big topic nowadays. Yeah. What does, a, what does a leader look like? You know, you can't, in my opinion, you can't be a good leader if you've never been a follower. Never followed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have and, to go, and you have to appreciate the people that have come before you, but also what is it that you're pouring into the individuals uh, that come after you? Talk to us a little bit about leadership. Um, I call myself a servant leader, right? Because I believe you have to be willing to serve in order to truly lead. Um, you know, I currently sit under two young women. I call them young, younger than me. But I listen to them because I know they know their stuff. And I want to know my stuff better. So I'm learning, right? But then I get to sit with others that are sitting under me. And they're learning. So it's a trickle-down effect as far as leaders. Leaders train other people to become leaders, and those leaders impact the lives of other people. So it's it's not enough to just say, I'm a leader. I'm, you know, it's not enough to just say that. And I use the um, analogy of the butterfly because the butterfly starts out as a caterpillar just crawling on its belly and crawling and crawling for a very, very long time before taking flight. And that's what leaders tend to, we tend to crawl. Most of us come from a crawling place. Most of the leaders, I, I look at Oprah Winfrey and all of the others, and they start from a crawling place. But at some point, you get to that phase of the cocoon, and you just sit there for a while going, what kind of leader do I want to become? What kind of butterfly do I want to be? Do I want to be a monarch? Do I want to be just another butterfly? And none of the butterflies look alike. They all look different. For me, I want to be a monarch. So I get people to train me so that I could be that monarch. Monarchs get to see more, um, experience more, do more, fly better, fly higher, do all of that. So it depends on the type of leader that you want to be. And recently I've been reading about one particular leader called Lee Durham. And he was, he used to be a police officer, but then he wanted to, he was also a chef in the military and he wanted to start some kind of food business. And he chose McDonald's. He chose to purchase a McDonald's franchise. He had $35,000 saved and the franchise cost 200,000. He borrowed, did everything, bought this franchise and opened it in Harlem, New York on 125th street. 
and his family thought he was crazy, but he had a plan. And so he put it there and it wasn't making any money. Not even the people from McDonald's wanted to visit that McDonald's because all that was happening, there was a lot of gang members and they kept looting the place, tearing it up. Every time he made money, it went away. And then he decided that he was going to do something. He was going to serve the community. And he took those gangbangers and started training them how to work for him. And then he hired them to work for him. And that McDonald's that year came out with $1.4 million that year. I mean, by the time he passed away, he had owned five of them with 540 employees. Most of them were still those gangbangers. Mm -hmm. And so what we see happening is that he sat in that cocoon, you know, restless. These people are getting, you know, what am I going to do with these gangs? What am I going to? And then he came out and he flew. He flew into the faces of these gangbangers. And at the end of the day, he became a millionaire, you know, and, and, and it wasn't because he, he, I don't think he had in his, well, I'm going to be a millionaire. Maybe that was one of his thoughts. That wasn't, but his, that wasn't in, no, no. That and was, what I leaders have to understand is that leadership fluctuates. Mm -hmm. It is dependent upon the people, again, that you serve, what their needs are. I mean, we look at the political climate right now. I'm not pleased with any of them. I ain't been pleased with any of them for a long time. Oh. However, the thing is, is I think they should all just leave and get a whole new crew. The millennials have a different conversation. They have a different want. They have a different desire. They don't want the big million dollar house. They don't want the Rolls Royce. They want a smart car. They want to be able to work from home, from their device. You know, leadership is leading people uh, to motivate themselves, to be inspired, to learn to be happy or to learn to just be content because happiness is a high that people are always chasing too. What's the next new shiny object that's going to make me happy? What's going to make me smile? What's, you know, how am I going to get that band? How am I going to get that brand new purse? It's not about that. It's about settling into the spirit. It's about settling into um, what God has designed and created. And that leads me into your preaching. So you leadership, you also work with mental health, but you also do it under the covenant. How did you become, um, you know, a pastor? A pastor, yes. That's how did I become a pastor? Ah, all these loaded questions. <laughs> I, I became a pastor not wanting to become a pastor. That um, normally happens when you're called. Yeah. Like, huh? Me? <laughs> not me. You got the wrong number, God. <laughs> you know, when I was younger, I would watch everybody because I grew up in the church and I would watch all that. And that wasn't one thing that I aspired to. Um, I knew I wanted to be a leader, but not like that. And so um, in, I think it was 2015 or 16, one of those years, somebody asked me to speak at a, at a um, pastor's appreciation. And I said, me, I, 
I am going to speak at the pastors. Yeah, we want you to speak. And God gave me a message called the shepherd's call. And when I went and started investigating this call, um, I said, man, this is scary because a lot of the shepherds don't even understand the call. That's right. And, That's right. you know, I, I wrote a little manual that I gave to all of them and kind of spoke from it. And then I, I went to California and I was um, at a church and I was selling that little manual because it became like a book kind of thing. And this man was there, Apostle Samuel Beasley, who is my covering right now. And he looked at it and he said, huh, that's all you got. Give me more. Give me more, girl. I know you got more than that. And I went off with my tail between my legs and I started to research and research again. And it became a, a book. And he actually was one of the people endorsing this book. But as I was writing it, I felt like, oh, this is a call for me to be a pastor. And so I reached out to him and some other pastors that I knew for my training. And they proceeded to train this renegade. I'm like a Peter, right? I'm a renegade. I'm a, you know, tell me why. Tell me how, you know, that's me. Right. And so in July, July 26, 2019, he actually ordained me a pastor. And he said to me, so where are you going to have your church? And I never really thought about that part. I never really thought about, oh, you need a church with a pulpit. No, that was not. Obviously, look at me. That was not me. And so, you know, I went and I said to him, I think, I think I'm supposed to pastor a church without walls. And he goes, what does that look like? I said, let me think about it because I don't really know. I don't really know what that looks like. And then COVID happened. And people kept calling me and asking me to say something. And I hated social media. I hated all of this. And as I sat down, and I looked out into nothingness and my assistant was there. She goes, oh, church beyond the walls. Mm. And so that's what I've been doing ever since is just, I mean, I am on a pastoral board at an actual church. I don't speak there often. I just, I'm on the board. I, I give my stuff, but most of my speaking is done beyond the walls of a church. And that's and what I, God knew, that that's what Jesus did. He yeah. Wasn't, he wasn't in a building. Yeah. Yeah. He walked the street. Uh -huh. was a pulper. And so mm -hmm. that is what you have to be among the people. That is mm -hmm. where the street needs to be. Everybody's yeah. not going to come in. But mm -hmm. once you extend yourself and go out, they tether to that. They yeah. that. You take yeah. all this wisdom. Uh, experience and you put it inside of a book do you have your book there Ah, uh, yeah one of them this most recent one. Oh, that armor, is beautiful armor and victorious armor and victorious what what could we look forward to when we purchase a copy of that my story um it's actually the sequel to the beginning of my story 
The beginning of my story is called Weapons for Victory, Memoirs of a Perfect Storm, um, based on the fact that I had to swim out of a storm with my children to safety and at the end of the day became a single mom. But this one takes you beyond that to when I actually cross over my crossover season and um, it became a number one bestseller. So I'm very proud of this one. Um, I'm proud of all of them, but um, this one in particular um, took me to some places I had to go back in order to go forward. And um, at the end of the day, it's been really helping people, helping people to understand that they too can cross over and become. Exactly. Would you like to read us a, a little excerpt? Okay. Uh, let's see. Um Okay, this this um is chapter five, and it's called the aftershock of stillness. And I started with a scripture from the book of Job, Job thirteen fourteen to sixteen in the Amplified version says, "Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him." Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. And so I, I write, as I reflect on all that was transpiring during that time in my life, I realize I was living what many would call a Job experience. However, when God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Sharon? I don't think... I was referred to as blameless. I had made so many mistakes in my life up to that point. It was meaningless to think I was blameless. Though not, though not blameless, God knew my heart and that I wanted to trust him with my life, regardless of how bent out of shape it had become. When things in your life become so disjointed, you know, you feel like you need more than a splint a cast or a brace. Um, you don't feel secure. You're always wobbly. You're always uncertain. But in those times, from my experience, are the biggest value because, again, you had to swim from a storm. You had to rise like the phoenix from the ashes and rebuild yourself. But if you never had to go through that, you wouldn't know what it is on the other side. You wouldn't know what victory feels like, smells like, tastes like. You wouldn't know the challenges and you wouldn't appreciate it. And gratitude is latitude because it changes your attitude. That's right. That's right. That's all right. That's all right. So you are the author of not one, but eight books. Yes, there's, there are eight of them. One of them was an anthology. So I kind of collaborated with other people, but the other seven were my books. Where do you go in that headspace outside of your ministry, outside of your leadership training to really be able to document what you're feeling? You know, I've, I've written three books and two of them were poetry. One of them was a children's book, but I've never done the deep dive as far as the introspective work. Brains, I don't know if you're ready for that because I am controversial and I'm heavy. <laughs> so am I. Yeah, but yeah. doing that, how do you, what is your writing process? You know, 
I keep journals and I have a lot of them. Um, and for these, I actually just reverted to my journals um, to remind me of that space. Um, sometimes in the journals, I realized in that space I was broken. So in order to write from a place of victory, you have to change the narrative because it's no longer the same. It's no longer feeling, oh, poor me. It's more, hey, I'm back, you know, and I'm back with a vengeance. And so um, it, it, it gets a little controversial because my story is controversial within the church arena. So, you know, I, but I, I wrote it, I write it from my heart space. And when I'm done, I'm free. You know, I'm, I'm not writing it for me. Right. I already lived it. I already lived it. I'm not writing it for me. I'm right. writing it for you, you know? So when you read it, don't read it. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that happened to Dr. Sharon. Oh my God. Oh my, no, it's for you. Cause I'm over. I'm, I'm, I've crossed over and I'm not going back ever. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So before we conclude, this is my favorite part of the interview. I love to ask some fun questions. Okay. Dr. Sharon, if you were an appliance in the kitchen, oh. what appliance would you be and why? Oh my Lord. What appliance would I be? Um, a stove. A stove? Be yes, ma'am. Because at the end of the day, you get a meal from that. Um, a stove can give you something solid to keep you alive. And so I would be a stove. <laughs> I never talked about it before. I'm a stove. <laughs> I think today I'd be a dishwasher. Dishwasher? I'd be a dishwasher, number one, because I want to keep it clean. Keep it clean. I want to be efficient, but I also want to serve. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. So that would be good. If uh, you had, well, I know you do. What is your superpower? My superpower is, I always have to think hard on that. I keep my superpower is service, you know, because I like to serve people. I've always liked to serve people, even when nobody was calling me to serve. I was serving. So um, that's my superpower. And I think that's why I gravitated to that man's story, because I, I and this morning, um, my husband said, well, if you could do anything knowing that God would be okay with it, that it would bl blow up, what would you do? And I said, I would own a company and I would hire people with skills right from off the street, just like that man did, because that would be my service to them. And in return, they get to do service for me as well. And so that's my superpower. I serve, I serve, I serve. I serve when I speak. I serve when I write. I serve when I, I am a, I have to be careful with it because sometimes your children kind of want to take advantage of that. Girl, I tell you, I'm, I'm a giver to a fault. Yes. Um, my I'm daughter, my daughter had a dinner party at her house and she came and got all my stuff. No. You know, you have to stand up and you got to show up. Yeah. That. What makes you laugh, Dr. Sharon? What just makes, just tickles your funny bone? What makes me laugh? Um, 
you know, my life makes me laugh sometimes when I go back and look at certain things that I did. Who did that? <laughs> you know, because I grew up in a sheltered home with these parents that just hovered and thought they were protecting me and keeping me safe. And then I got out into this big world and I didn't know what to do. I, I had no idea. And I found myself fighting my way through this world. And so when I look back and go, man, I can't believe you got out of that. <laughs> and wow. I can't believe you got out of that. And, you know, one of them is swimming out of my house with my children holding on to my hands. And I tell my son, he's 30 years old. I said, you kept telling me you couldn't swim. I'm, I'm not a swimmer either, you know? And I'm like dragging him through the water and we're laughing at that, but it wasn't funny when it was happening. But sometimes you just got to look back at all the things that God brought you through and you go, you couldn't have done that by yourself. You couldn't have done that by yourself. And so you end up just laughing at your own circumstances. Wow. If you were an animal, what animal oh, would you be? I told you, my butterfly. That's right, your butterfly. That's right. I'm butterfly. You know what I'd be? I have, I have my butterfly right here. My stepdaughter gave oh, me this butterfly. beautiful. And it lights up. So wow. when it lights up, it's actually me. <laughs> so, oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, butterfly. <laughs> I think I'd be the party animal. <laughs> yeah, I like to I like to get it in. I like to get it in. Um, and in closing, and in all sincerity, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered for outside of your service? I want to be remembered for just being um honest, you know purely honest regardless of what people thought of me that I always was honest about who I was I never tried to sugarcoat who I am and tried to be anybody else I was just honest and you know when when I had to get rid of my hair I had a lot of hair and when I had to get rid of it, I thought about the weave, the wig, the this, all the different things that you could do. And I just walked into the house with no hair. And my son goes, what in the world, you know, happened? <laughs> Go back and get your hair. Regardless of the fact that it was falling out in clumps, he wanted to see hair because, but I've received such a freedom from this look. Um, that so it doesn't like matter it. anymore. <laughs> Thank you. Can you, it, you know, did you did you have a medical condition? Did you have alopecia or uh, share? Well, I, it, nobody called it alopecia. They called it stress. Um, and I remember when it was happening. It was gradually happening because, you know, the pictures of days gone by was lots of hair, and that was my glory. You know, right, I would right. you say you were a party animal. Up. I was a party animal. I mean, I would I would find a party anywhere, a club anywhere. And the hair was the thing, you know, everybody loved the hair, including me. And when it started to, it started coming out as if I had um, chemo, that's how it was coming out of my head. I could feel it. I could feel it coming out every time I combed my hair. 
Yeah. I could feel yeah. it. I shed tears in the mirror. I did everything. I tried everything and nothing worked until I sat in my beautician's office in her chair. And I said, just take off all the damage. And she said, there's a lot of damage. I said, just take it off. And I closed my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, it wasn't bald, but it was close to it. Mm. And I cried, you know, I just shed tears over that, released it, let it go. And that was 2006. This is 2023. I'm a new girl. And I kind of like it. And my husband, like actually, it. Absolutely. My husband, yeah, it's a turn on. <laughs> my, my husband is my barber. Oh. It is, you know, it's 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 a turn on. You know, my yeah. hair is getting a little thinner. I rock yeah. a big old afro, and it's getting smaller. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what? We have always been taught, especially as black women, uh -huh. your hair because your don't hair, your, your hair is your glory. But also in Jamaica, people don't understand the story of the dreadlocks and the uh -huh. unity and the locking of the hair. Jesus uh -huh. had hair like wool. Don't get it twisted, brains. It wasn't long and silky and thin. It was thick, nappy, and kinky. Yeah. <laughs> but with that, it tells your story. Each yep. of your hair tells your story. That's what they want. That's what they check your DNA. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. your hair follicles, it is a lot to the hair. But once you can free yourself of that, it's like a person that fasts. Once you can mm -hmm. go without. Mm -hmm. There's a new awakening. There's a new responsibility. Yeah. So I commend yeah. you. I think it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage. I was mm -hmm. just with uh, Jada Pinkett Smith a few yeah. years ago. And, you know, her hair is coming back a little bit from the alopecia, but she owns it. Yeah. And that's what it's about. It's about ownership. Whatever. Gotta own it. Yourself, gotta own it. You gotta yeah. play your hand. Yeah. Play it. Yeah. Gotta play it. And and this is the hand I've been dealt in. The other day, somebody said to me, well, I guess you won't ever be grow trying to grow no hair because this has become your signature. That's right. Everybody knows me as the bald lady. Everybody well, it's does. Absolutely striking. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it's a testament and encouragement for women that are losing their hair or yeah. going through chemo or just want to be liberated. Yeah, yeah. It's a testament. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. Please tell no, me. You're welcome. Me how to get a copy of one of the books, how to connect with you, how to follow you. Uh, you know, I just really want them to, to touch you. Well, the books are on my web, my website that has my counseling practice. So it's inspiredwholenesscounseling.com forward slash publications. So that's where the books are. As far as me being a speaker, it's drsharonarendell.com. That's where you see all my topics and my books are there as well. So you see all of that. My email is inspiredwholeness58 at gmail.com. And you can find me hanging out on Facebook mostly as Sharon Arendelle, on LinkedIn as well as Sharon Arendelle, and on Instagram as Dr. Sharon Arendelle. Well, we are going to find Dr. Sharon Arendelle. We're going to put the information in the back. Uh, when you come to San Diego, if you don't contact me, my feelings are going to be deeply hurt. I would love to take you out for a fabulous meal. 
uh, and have a really great stimulating conversation and be touched That's by right. your anointing. I really want That's right. April. Friends, go in. Love, like, share, subscribe. Love, like, share, subscribe, and follow Dr. Sharon as well as me on the edge. Get all of the stimulation that you need. You are in a place that you need some service. We are here for you. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharon. I God bless you. God bless you. Have a good day. All right. Bye, brains.